Welcome. This is Mr. G. Uh, Page to my friends. Um, it's been a, a few days since I last posted a devotion, and, and there's a reason for it. For some reason, the story of the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman at the well, affected me. Um, and I, I didn't, I didn't want to go off half-cocked on just blathering stuff out. I, I decided to wait until I could sort out what was going on in my heart when I read the story. Because, as we talked about last week, um, Jesus and his disciples are taking a shortcut through Samaria. Uh, and this was not a, this is no small thing. To say that there was some problems between the Samaritans and the Jews would be a very big understatement. There was um, hatred there. Uh, they both viewed the other side with a great deal of animosity. And it wasn't a good idea for Jews to be caught in Samaria or for a Samaritan to come to Jerusalem, for instance. So for Jesus to take the shortcut through Samaria, as I said, was no small thing. So there's that. And then he shows up to the well. He sends his disciples into town to get some food to eat. Um, and then he meets this woman. And he asks her for water. And she says, why are you, a Jewish man, asking me, a Samaritan woman, for water? I'm paraphrasing the story, of course. And Jesus says, well, if you knew who it was that was giving you, asking you for water, you'd ask him for a drink of living water. And she says, are you greater than Jacob? Our ancestor? Who dug this well? And Jesus in the course of this conversation, he makes a very strange request. He tells her, go back to town, get your husband, and bring him back here. And she says, I don't have a husband. She's, and he goes on to say, yeah, that's true. You don't have a husband. In fact, you've had five husbands, and the man you're living with is not your husband. Now, for years, my thoughts on this were that this was an accusatory statement of Jesus. I mean, he was calling her out um, the way I probably would have called her out for years and years. I would immediately assume that she's trying to pretend to be something she's not. She's trying to be a respectable woman. Well, she's not a respectable woman in the eyes of the world. She, in fact, she's had multiple marriages. She's living with a man that she's not married to. That kind of settles it, doesn't it, what kind of woman she is. And there were many years when I would just, I'd write off a woman like that. But something really, really curious happens here. 
after Jesus calls her out and says, you're right, you're, you don't have a husband. You've been married five times and the man you're living with isn't your husband. She doesn't snap back at him, which would be a natural response if this was leveled to her in an accusatory matter. The one thing written, the written word does not convey is the tone of voice and the body language that would accompany a conversation. If I were to write, I have a good friend, his name is Ronnie Starmer, Ron Starmer. And if we were just joking around together, and I said, man, I hate you. And we're laughing about something. You could tell by my body language that I don't hate him because I'm smiling, I'm laughing, we just we're cutting jokes with each other. But if you read that in a statement, and Paige said responded to Ronnie, I hate you. It might be very easy to assume that I in reality do hate him, which I don't. He's one of my best friends. So the written word kind of leaves stuff out of the picture. And you kind of have to go behind the words to see if you can figure out what's going on. Well, fortunately for me, or unfortunately, in some people's eyes, I have a cinematic imagination. I imagine a movie scene. I imagine um, if I were directing this, what would I have these characters convey? And thankfully, this is a devotional and not a technical, deep theological debate. It's a devotional thing because I'm looking for something that I can apply to my life, and I'm going to get to that. Because this, to me, was one of the most profound things I got out of the story. And we're going to finish the rest of the story here in a minute. But I need to, I need to touch base on this. Um, Jesus says, you're right when you say you don't have a husband. You've had five husbands and the man you're living with now is not your husband. Now, do you see the way I said that? That's kind of like taking the higher moral ground, isn't it? Looking down on her. But yet she doesn't respond as if she's being ridiculed. She doesn't respond as if he's condescending. She doesn't respond as if he accuses her of something. She says, I can see you're a prophet. That's an unlikely response to a statement like that. So let's just rewind. Now picture this in your mind. She says, I have no husband. Now, Jesus focuses his eyes on hers, makes eye contact. And maybe even with eyes brimming a little bit, he says, you're right. When you say you have no husband, you've been married five times. And the man you're living with now is not your husband. You're correct when you say that. He, I believe, responded with love and compassion and understanding. I believe he's telling her, I see you. See, there's lots of reasons why a woman would have five husbands. A million of them. Uh, 
when you're in a society that doesn't honor women, generally speaking, there's room for all kinds of abuse. And I happen to know several women who have suffered abuse at the hands of a husband or a boyfriend. There's lots of reasons she would have gone through five husbands. We don't know the details of her life, but Jesus being Messiah, he would. And I believe he responded to her with a tone and with uh, uh, an appearance that would tell her that he understood, he understands. He's saying, I see you. Let me give you an example. When I was growing up, uh, I witnessed a horrific thing. Uh, I believe I witnessed the death of my sister. Now, I say I believe that because I was very young, four or five years old, perhaps. And the memories didn't come back to me till decades later. But everything I have looked into hints, tells me that I indeed did witness that event. Now that's the backdrop. I was a very strange kid growing up in school after that event. We went to a new town, we moved, and I was a very strange kid in school. I was very afraid. All the time I was afraid, afraid of my own shadow. I wouldn't stand up for myself. I was, it was very easy to bully me. And I was, a, I was overly funny in class to the point where I wasn't really funny at all. And I grew up that being that way in school, being the odd kid in school. And, and as I grew older, and even after I got married, there were things about me that I hated about me. And I didn't know why they were that way. I didn't know why it was that way. But I would have sudden flashes of temper. I would put my fist through walls. Even as a Christian, I'd have this incredible burst of anger and sometimes totally out of context with whatever the event was that triggered it. I would always start projects and never finish them. I was never able to finish. I was never able to stay in one place to do one thing. My dad had... Uh, a career at a pulp mill. I never stayed more than five or six years in a certain job before I, I would change careers. I mean, I, I bounced all the place. Now, I, I was able to take care of my family. But during this whole time frame, up until I was probably in my late 30s, early 40s, there were things about me that I hated and I didn't know why they were the way they were. Enter a dear friend. I was recording some songs for her. We were, she was a songwriter. And during one of our recording sessions, she said, can I ask you a question? I said, sure. A little background here. She was not only a recording artist, she was also a counselor. She said, can I ask you a question? I said, sure. She said, did something traumatic happen to you as a child? And I looked at her. There's no way she couldn't have known that. But I said, yeah, I think I saw my sister die. She says, that explains a lot. And then she proceeded to tell me about me based on that admission that I 
just submitted to her. She explained to me that dyslexia is often a common after effect of a traumatic experience like that. And guess who was dyslexic? Me. She went on to say that sudden fits of temper, uncontrollable bursts of rage. Me. She went on to tell me that the, the ability to start but inability to finish projects could be related to all this. I went, me. But she didn't offer me any solutions, but she, for the first time in my life, I was with someone who saw me. She saw me and she understood me. And she let me know that God saw me and that God understands me. One of the names for God, I think, is uh, Jehovah El Roy, which I believe the God who sees me. I believe this moment at the well, for the first time in her life, this woman met a man who said, I see you. And he, when he responded to her saying, I know you had, you've, you've had five husbands. The man you're with now isn't your husband. I believe he said it to her in such a way that she realized he sees me because her response was not to snap back at him. Her response was, oh, I see you're a prophet. You see me. And then she runs back to the village. Look down here at uh, verse 28. Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come, See a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? I believe she was changed. I believe that the woman that went back to the village was not the same woman who had come up to the well. And sometimes change is so amazing and complete and miraculous that people can't help but take notice and give God glory. Another story about me. When I was very young, I went to a Nazarene church uh, with another family neighborhood. I quit going when I hit like junior high or today's middle school is what you'd call it. And I just quit going for lots of reasons. And from that point on, I became a bit of a wild child. I, especially as I hit high school, I partied. I smoked. I did drugs, nothing really heavy, but I did some. And I did a lot of drinking, a lot of partying. And uh, I, I, to the extent that I was actually refused admittance to the honor society because of my lifestyle as a partying, as a partier. Uh, I graduated from high school. I started playing nightclubs and I became a drunk. I was on my way to becoming a very big drunk. And long story short, I went off to boot camp. I joined the Navy. And in the Navy in boot camp, I got saved. I became a Christian, had an incredible, life-altering, life-changing experience. And then I came home. Now, when I came back to Sitka, Alaska, where I was growing up, uh, I came back as a believer. I left as a party animal, and I came back as a believer. And I go to church, the church I used to attend as a child, which I hadn't been to for 10 years or more. And... I went in, I saw Mrs. Grant, my Sunday school teacher when I'd been there as a child, and I sat next to her. She looked at me like she thought she ought to know me, but she wasn't sure. 
because, well, I had short hair. I'd left with long hair. I had a tan, kind of unusual for the winter months, spring months of Alaska. Um, I was kind of buff because I just spent nine weeks working out in boot camp. And she looked at me like she thought she knew me, but she wasn't sure. Well, the pastor said something, and I went, and I said, oh, praise God. She snapped her head around, and she stared at me, and she said, Paige, is that you? I said, yes, Mrs. Grant, it's me. I'm a Christian. I'm saved now. In about that tone of voice. And she just started weeping. She stared at me, and she started weeping. I changed. The page that came back to Sitka was different from the page that left Sitka. And the change was so remarkable that all it took was a few words coming out of my mouth for them to see that something that a ton about me had changed. I believe this woman, when she went back to town, and she says, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? I believe there was such a change in her in the town that knew her as a woman who'd had five husbands and was sleeping with the man who wasn't her husband. I believe that there was such a change that they came out to see this man that had done this. And let me go to the end of this here. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we've heard for ourselves, and we know this man really is the savior of the world. I believe the Samaritan woman, for the first time in her life, met, some, met someone who saw her, really. I believe her life was changed because she met a man who saw her. When I was in boot camp and I met Jesus in that experience, in that church service where I got saved, for the first time in my life, I met God and I knew he saw me. Years later when I met this recording artist who was also a counselor, she saw me. And in those moments of meeting someone who truly sees you, who truly gets you, who totally understands you, who can look at all the garbage mistakes you've made, all the terrible decisions you've made, who can still look at you and love you and have compassion for you, that's life-changing. That's a quality that Jesus had that I was looking for in this story about he and the Samaritan woman. Uh, he looked past the prejudice of the disciples. He looked past the prejudice of Israel towards the Samaritan people. And isn't it amazing that the first person he plainly said, I am Messiah, to was a Samaritan woman whose life was a mess. Man, I, I'd like to... <laughs> I wish I could go back and find out how her life changed after that. 
Anyway, that's why I waited four days to do this portion of the Bible study because I knew there was something there that I was missing for me. I think this tells us an awful lot about Jesus, the fact that he would reveal himself so completely and fully to a Samaritan woman. He hadn't even said it this plainly to his disciples. Um, I, I'm blown away by this, and I am going to spend the rest of my day just kind of wallowing in this thought that I know a God who sees me like Jesus saw this woman at the well. I have never seen this passage, this story, this passage of scripture in the light of which I just told you until this last week. To me, it was just a shallow story of a Samaritan who hated Jews and Jews who hated Samaritans and Jesus just smacked her in the face with her lifestyle. But that isn't what happened. He saw her. She wasn't garbage. She wasn't... She was much more than a woman who had been married five times. One thing I've learned in the past, and I'll close with this. I have known several women who probably could tell this Samaritan woman's story just as well as she could. That their life was full of hard decisions and sometimes the decisions these women had made were the best decisions they could make at the time with what they knew. There's no... Uh, sometimes when we're called upon to make a hard decision, <laughs> there's no... There's no blueprint. What does a woman do who's abused? There are lots of things they can do. What does a woman do who's been abused again and again? Lots of things. Sometimes their life becomes a tragedy because they don't know what to do. And they haven't met anybody that sees them Jesus saw this woman. I truly believe this one discussion changed this woman's life. And I'm thinking I'm going to see her when God calls me home. That I'm going to see this Samaritan woman whose life was changed because of Messiah. Because Jesus saw her. Hmm. It's a great lesson. Mr. G, and I'm out of here. <laughs>